The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, let's go to 2 Timothy, if we would, chapter uh, 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We've been, for several months now, we've been studying the grace of God, and we've, we're going to begin an, another section on the grace of God this Sunday, and we're going to talk about the decrees of grace, the different decrees that, that God's grace has, has given us as believers. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's begin at verse 6. Paul writes here, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, neither of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Now we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice with me in verse 9 that Paul very clearly stated that God has saved us, <coughs> but not according to our works there was no there was nothing good seen in me there was there was no merit in me that caused God to to put to give grant his grace upon me it was nothing there was nothing in me and we all, we all know that we understand that Paul said it was according to his own purpose and his own grace and we have to be careful because as humans we we tend to get lifted up in pride very easily and sometimes it's, it's easy for us to forget that my great, my salvation, my election in Christ is not by my merit. It's not by my works. It's not by any good in me because there is and was and never will be any good in me. The only good in me is Christ Jesus in me. And that's it. There is nothing good in me apart from Christ. I need to remember that. Now, we're going to talk about the decrees of grace uh, a decree. What is a decree? Well, a decree is a foreordained decision. It's a predetermined will. So a decree is, is issued. Now, in, in democracy, we don't have many decrees. We have laws. But in, in the old European kingdoms where you had a king, the king would, would issue a decree. And that decree was the same as a law. It could not be broken. It could not be changed. It, and it was, it was his decision and it was his will that this take place. So uh, we need to understand when we talk about a decree, we're talking about a foreordained decision by God according to his predeterminate will. One of my favorite songs is, Oh, Rejoice in the Lord. I love that song. Well, there's a line in that song that, that states, God never moves without purpose or plan. So everything God does has a purpose 
And it's according to his plan and his will. It's, it's, well, it's well thought out by God, and everything God wills and determines to do is according to his purpose. So, Scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So we know that not one, and Jesus even stated this, he said not one word of scripture will, will, will fail. Not one word, not one jot or one tittle. That, and that's, that's even punctuation marks are, are, are perfectly uh, inerrant in, with God. So everything that God plans, everything that God purposes, everything that God determines, every word that God speaks will fulfill its purpose. We know that. So given this, we know that God's grace, his grace, which was freely imparted to us, was also with purpose. Right? God didn't just say, okay, well, I'll give you my grace. He didn't say that. It's not like handing your, your, your kid the keys to your car, right? No, it's not the same as that. God, God had a purpose when he, when he shed his grace upon us. God had a purpose in our election. It was to gather a people unto himself, to glorify his own name. And he most definitely has purposes for your life today. You're not just, you're not just living your life on this earth to no ends. Now, maybe as you sit here this morning, maybe you really haven't figured out what God's purpose is for you yet. And you're not going to find that out until you get in his word and until you study and yield to him and submit yourself to him. And he shows you the path to walk. But he has a purpose for every one of us. And I don't know what your purpose is. You don't know what my purpose is. But we all have purposes. Now, there are certainly unique purposes concerning each of us individually. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just a few books back. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and let's go to verse number 4. We read here beginning at verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. In other words, there's, there's many gifts. There's not just one gift. There's lots of different gifts. There's diversities of gifts, but the same spirit imparts the gifts to each of us. <clears throat> And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities uh, of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given the Spirit, in the, uh, spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing, by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So we certainly see that there are unique purposes. Um, God has purposes for me that don't necessarily apply to you. He has purposes for you that don't necessarily apply to me, right? We can, all, we can all agree with that. That's a pretty simple thing to understand. However, not only are there unique purposes, 
But there are also what I will call corporate purposes. And these decrees are for all of us collectively. There are certain decrees given to us by the grace of God. There are certain purposes in God's grace that are for all of us equally. Not just for me, not just for you. All of us share in these decrees. And that's, that's what I want to focus on for the next couple of weeks or so, is these corporate decrees, these things that all of us as the body of Christ will share as the decrees of God's grace, as the predeterminant will of God concerning us. So let's, let's look at these for, for a little while this morning. Number one on your study sheet, it has been decreed that for us to all be heirs of glory. To be heirs of glory. In Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. The grace of God has decreed that every one of us who are born again will be an heir to glory. So that means that everything that God has in heaven, he is going to share with us. He is going to impart to us as joint heirs with his son, Jesus Christ. Now, now think about this for a moment. What makes one an heir to another's possession? Anybody want to share a thought? What, what makes you an heir to someone else? You're in the family. You're, you're born, right? Now, my, two of my children are sitting over there. I got bad news for y'all. Daddy has nothing to give you when I leave. But if I did, they'd be yours because you're, you were born. You're my, you're my children by birth. But what else is there? Adopted, right. If I go out and adopt a child... That child becomes my heir, right? Everything I have becomes, that child becomes, that child's by default. So we all understand that an heir is a person legally entitled to the property of another upon that person's death. And most commonly, we understand that it's a person who is directly related to another by birth or by law. So the definition says it's a person legally entitled now, that, that's the word I want to focus on for just a moment. The word entitled. So to be entitled is to have a legal and a just claim to, to something, to receive or to do something. If, if someone is entitled to something, it means that they have, a, they have a legal right. They have a just claim to that. But, see, you and I have no legal right or no just claim to glory. We have no legal right or no just claim to, to heaven. We, we're not entitled. As natural men, we are not entitled to share in the wealth of Christ. And a natural man is not entitled to any of God's blessings. In fact, as a natural man, I could not possibly even comprehend spiritual things. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we should still be there. Let's, let's look at that. 1 Corinthians, we're in 1 Corinthians. Look at chapter 2 with me. In verse number 14, look what Paul tells us. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. <laughs> so spiritual things can only be imparted to you and I by the Spirit of God. A natural man cannot understand or comprehend spiritual things. It is only by God's election and by his grace that we are made heirs of Christ. I'm made an heir by my adoption into God's family. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul states, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So, you and I today have been adopted, in a, in a, in a very literal sense, we have been adopted by God. We have been brought into his family, not by birth, but by, a, by means of adoption. Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, is the only heir to glory by virtue of birth. Uh, so to consider ourselves as heirs this morning, we must qualify as a result of, of God's actions, of the grace of God. Now, when, when a child is adopted, do they pick their parents? Hmm? Does a child go to the, to the uh, social directory and, and find the richest family and say, there, that's the family I'm going to be a part of, right there. No, that's not how it happens, right? What happens? The parents choose the child. They seek the child. They, they choose the child and they adopt the child. And the same is true with you and I concerning God the Father. We didn't choose God as our Father. In fact, in fact, we may not want to admit this, but we were haters of God. We were haters of God. Now, I grew up in a quote-unquote religious family. I grew up in a Roman Catholic household, and I thought I was okay. But that's for another message. But... Uh, I may have grown up knowing about God, knowing about Jesus, believing in all of these things, but yet I was a hater of God. And the truth is, so were you. You and I didn't choose God. God chose us. Jesus said that. Jesus said, ye have not chosen me, I have chosen you. And God chose us, and God came to us, and God awakened us from our, our sleep of sin, and God enlightened us, and God gave us the faith to believe and we, we were regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, and we were born again, and God chose us, and he adopted us. So we are his adopted children. Um, so to consider ourselves heirs, we have to qualify. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth, and abideth forever. But we must also remember that one can become an heir to another's wealth by virtue of one's written will and testament. So there have been incidents, for instance, when uh, maybe, maybe a wealthy man has natural born children and then he adopts a child. 
And by his action of adopting that child, he, he, he by law, brings that child into his home, and that child becomes an heir. And upon his death, there have been incidents where those natural-born children will, will go to court and fight that they're entitled to everything, and this adopted child is entitled to nothing. But is that true? No, it's not. Especially, there have even been instances where a wealthy person will will their estate to something other than their children, right? We, we, all, we all have heard that over years, over time. Maybe, maybe a father says, you know what, my kids are worthless, they don't deserve all this, I'm going to give all this money to some organization that's going to help the homeless or, or feed uh, hungry children, and they leave all their money somewhere else. And, and oh, the family will fight that, won't they? They'll go to court and they'll say, no, that's ours, we're entitled to it. But the man's will and testament overcomes all the other factors of law. As long as, he was, as long as he was of sound mind and body when he gave that will, it's honor. So God, by virtue of his written will, has willed to us that we will be heirs to his glory. Here's where God's grace makes such a decree. God has, by his own will and word, declared that all of his elect children will inherit all of glory with Christ. And Christ, by virtue of his sinless life and sacrificial death, has the authority to impart this inheritance to whomsoever he will. So, we're not entitled to be heirs of Christ this morning. But we are enabled to be heirs of Christ by virtue of the grace of God. So first this morning, grace has decreed that we will be heirs of glory. But number two, I want to state that grace has decreed that we are to live free from the law. That we are to live free from the law. Now in Romans chapter 7 verse 6, Paul writes, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, we're not made free from the law so that we can go through life and break the law. We're not, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's, Paul said that we have been given liberty. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, he writes, Stand fast, therefore, and the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So, so Paul says, well, we've been, we've been given liberty from the law. We've been, we've been made free from from the bonds of the law. But he also reminds us that we are not to use that liberty as an occasion to sin. In verse 13 of that same chapter, uh, Galatians chapter 5, he writes, For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, it's important that we understand that grace has set us free from the law, but it, grace, has in fact bound us to an even greater responsibility. Did you hear what I just said? We're free from the law by the grace of God, but that grace has in fact bound us to a greater law. That grace places more responsibility upon us. More than we had even before. For before we, we sinned in our ignorance. 
But we've been made free. We've been set free. Our, our hearts and minds have been set free from sin. Uh, but it has bound us to a greater law. Before we were saved, the law served to convict and condemn us. But now that we are saved, we are no longer condemned by the law. For Jesus, the Bible says, is the end of the law for all the elect. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, what are we talking about here? Well, the law was given as an, as an instructor, as a teacher, uh, to, 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 to do two things. Number one, to impart to us God's expectations. Here's what God expects of you. And hence, we have the law. But the law is also uh, there to remind us and to instruct us that, that we fail, right? That we fall short. I look at God's law and I read that and I say, I can't, I can't do that. I, I, I want to, but I can't. I, have, I don't have the righteousness to walk in the law. So Christ became my righteousness. For God hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that through him we may be made the righteous of Christ, righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are, we are given righteousness by Christ. You understand what I'm saying? Christ is the end of the law. For all that are saved, he, he is the end of the law of righteousness. There, I, I, I can't fulfill the righteous expectations of God, but Christ in me does that. So we no longer live under the yoke of the law. Rather, we now live under the yoke of Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ, the, the grace of God sets us free from the law. We, we, don't, we don't wake up every morning anymore and we don't, we don't try to, 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 to obey a bunch of rules to please God. You understand what I'm saying? We don't do that anymore. Now we wake up and we rejoice in Christ Jesus, our Savior, and we walk in his spirit, we walk in his truth, and by, by conducting our lives according to his, his uh, righteousness and his purpose, we fulfill the law of Christ. But it is not, or the law of God, it is not, but it is not us that's fulfilling it. Who is it? It's Christ in us. So we're set free from the we're set free from the rigor of the law so that we can live the intent of the law. That's, that's what we are. I'm not sure if... How many of you understand what I'm talking about right now? How many of you grasp it? Because you're either thinking about what you're getting for Christmas or I've totally confused you. I don't wake up every morning and say, Oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta not tell lies today. I got to not steal today. I got I to gotta do this today. I got to do that. I don't do that anymore. I wake up and I, I, I say, Praise Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. I can walk in Christ's righteousness. I, I can do the things that Christ has enabled me to do today. And I, I live my life free from the law, but bound to Christ. So... I can love my wife the way I should love my wife because it's Christ loving her through me. 
I can be a father to my children that I need to be because it's Christ working through me. I can go to my job and I can be an ethical, hard worker, honest and fair because it's Christ working through me. I can, I can interact with my brothers and sisters in Christ and I can love you all despite how unlovable you may be because it's Christ in me. It's not the law in me, it's Christ in me. I'm free from the law. God has set me free. He's released me from the bondage of trying to live a righteous life. And he's given me Christ who lives a righteous life through me. We live under the yoke of Christ. We can live free from the law because we've been enabled by God's grace. We've been given the power to say no to sin. We've been given the wisdom to choose to do right. (laughs) This is where we exercise, by the way. This is where we exercise our free will in our life. We exercise our free will when we choose. When we choose to follow Christ and not choose to live in the flesh. Because we've been enabled to follow Christ. I'm not under the the power of the law. Take a police officer, for instance. A police officer is actually, he's not above the law, but he's not really bound to the law, is he? A police officer can can speed down the road if he has to, if he needs to, right? He can can do the things he needs to do to fulfill his office. Now, it it doesn't mean that he's not still under the authority of the law, and it doesn't mean that he still has to abide by the law. It simply means he's been given the empowerment to fulfill the intent of the law. And this is where we are today. I've become an ambassador of Christ. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, we read, Now, we, then we are ambassadors of Christ. Now, here's a, here's a bit of interesting note you may not be aware of. Do you know ambassadors are not subject to the laws of the United States? Do you know that? How many of you knew that? An ambassador cannot be convicted of a crime in the United States while he's an ambassador. He's, he's free from our law. Why? Because he's not... He's not bound by our law. He's bound by his own country's law. An ambassador is free from the law. Now, that doesn't doesn't mean that he can come along and break all of our laws. Because what will happen is he'll be escorted out of the United States. But he's actually not bound by the laws of our country. He's bound by international laws, of course, as we all are. But my point is... We are ambassadors of Christ. Therefore, we're not bound. We're not bound by the law of righteousness because we've been we've been set free from that law. But we have a greater law. So I want to make sure I impart that to you. I'm not saying today that we can do our own thing, do whatever we want to do. No, 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 no. But we're not under the we're not under the bonds. We're not under the yoke of the law anymore. Trying to do things that we are incapable of doing as humans in our flesh. But we are, we have the yoke of Christ upon us and we live free from the law by the righteousness of Christ. So, first uh, today I I want us to see that we're, the grace decreed that we're to be heirs of glory. Secondly, we're to live free from the law. And thirdly, to become profitable to the work of God. To become profitable to the work of God. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Now, God tells us in Romans chapter 3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. They are together become what? Unprofitable. God's word declares that natural man is unprofitable to God. He's of no use to God. God can't use him. God can do nothing with unnatural man or natural man because he is at enmity with God. As I said earlier, whether we want to believe it or not, before we were saved, we, we hated God. We were enemies of God. Even if we, even if we believed in him and, and even if we uh, tried to live a life that honored God, we were enemies of God. And, and in fact, we hated him. By, by the rejection of Christ as our Savior, we show hatred to God. <laughs> so, but we have become, we are now his workmanship. Behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That word creature literally means creation. He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're a new creature. We're a new creation. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. And God has ordained that we should walk in these good works, that we should be profitable to him. It is God's will and purpose that his children live fruitful lives. Before we were saved, we could do nothing profitable to the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, we read, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. All these, all these unsaved people, all these natural, natural men around this world who right now today are offering up all of their sacrifices and, and are, are doing all their religious rites and, and all their religious works, none of these are, are profitable to God. None of them are pleasing to God. He says they are all as filthy rags. And as I look around the room, we, we don't have any, any children in here. This is literally referring to bloody, like bloody rags. The Lord here is saying, this is, your works are a putrefying thing to me. So none of us in our natural state can do anything to please the Lord. Even what we would call works of righteousness to God are, un, are unpleasant. So we need to understand that. But now, because of the righteousness of Christ, which abides in us, now we are able to do the works that God has ordained that we do. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now we, the works that we can and, and, and we do through Christ are profitable to the work of God. They're profitable to the kingdom of God. So now the, the question is not, can we do the works of God? Because now we know that we can. We can. We are profitable to God. Our works are pleasing to God now because they are done through Christ. So the question is not, can we do the works? The question now is, will we do the works of God? We get so caught up in, in things, don't we? We get so busy. And often the things that we do are not bad things, but they're just not the best things. They're not the things that we ought to be doing. They're not the things that God has purposed for us to do. 
We're to live our lives in service to the Lord. Now, let me say real quickly, not all can labor in the church on a daily basis, but that does not change the fact that our focus in life should be to serve the Lord. We do and will have to labor to provide for our homes and families, but that does not define who or what we are. Brian writes um, web pages. He creates web pages. Jim over here, he's a, he's a computer technician. I don't know what John does, but anyway, I'm joking. We all have jobs, right? But do those jobs define us? Do they tell us what we are? No, they don't define us. We have people who do all these different jobs, but that is, not, <laughs> but that is what we do, not who we are or what we are. We are children of God. We are servants of the Lord. We are members of the local church, members of his body. And we have been empowered and we have been enabled by God to labor in his name and for his purpose. And that labor is pleasing to him and it's profitable to him. So let me ask you, are you using your life to serve the Lord? You say, well, what does that mean? What did Jesus say? <laughs> Jesus said, if you give a drink of cold water to, a, to someone who's thirsty, you've done something in his name, haven't you? Do we live our life in kindness toward our fellow man? Do we live our life prayerfully? Do, do we seize every opportunity that comes by in our life to, to serve the Lord, to, to witness for him or, or, or to just, just help someone in need. Listen, serving Christ that doesn't mean you get a paycheck from the church. Matter of fact, that has nothing to do with serving the Lord. That has, that has to do with serving the church. We all need to serve the Lord. All right, folks, I have to stop. I hope what I gave you this morning is useful to you. Uh, thanks for being here. And let's, uh, let's remember these wonderful things God has done for us. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roanoke Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.